Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. Anything Ghost, number 292, coming your way. Welcome to Anything Ghost. I'm the host of Anything Ghost, Lux Wall. Anything Ghost is a podcast that's been around since January of 2006, sharing true ghost stories from listeners like you. In 292, we'll be hearing some ghost stories from Rod in Los Angeles, as well as Andrea's experiences at a college in Greenville, Indiana. There's also a story about a haunted law library in a university in New York. So stand by for some haunted collegiate tales and more. We are having a party tonight. A spooky ghost party. Pleasant dreams. Welcome to Lex Wall's Anything Ghost, the most frightening podcast online. <laughs> Hello again, Lex. This is Rod Matsui here in Los Angeles, and I've written in with a couple of stories before, as you recall, and recorded a couple of stories as well. I thought I'd come in with some of the recent editions and thought it might be easier to put a bunch together in one group to take care of a bunch of them at once. Now, previously there was the story about the weird thing I saw at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery in 2005, and a collection of Hollywood ghost stories and some other things. Anyway, I've been busy with different kinds of projects recently, and I have a platter of spooky ghost tales here. Uh, I haven't gotten around to writing these things down for a while, or in some cases I haven't gotten around to interviewing the people to get more details, but now that I have... I'll put a bunch of these out here, and there's actually seven quick uh, stories. Story number one takes place right down the street from me in the early 1980s. Uh, This is when I was in high school, and uh, a friend of mine uh, who was visiting and having iced tea with me after school mentioned that she had seen a ghost. She said, I think I saw a ghost in my house yesterday. And so I asked her what she had seen. She seemed pretty startled. And she said uh, it had happened around midnight and it was in the hallway. She'd seen a blob of purple mist 
drifting down the hallway, staying very close to the floor. It was very, very small, smaller than a cat. In fact, her cat was also sitting at the edge of the hallway and was watching this purple blob of uh, mist moving. And the cat looked pretty confused. The purple color of this thing impressed the girl as well. She said it was a very pretty deep purple color. And after watching it for about a minute, uh, she said it faded away and was gone. I think she said she only saw it that one time. Story number two, Ghost in a New York Apartment. This one is really scary, and it scared me when I heard it. But the guy who told it to me seemed pretty happy. Uh, so even though it frightened him, I don't think it frightened him that badly. He said he rented an apartment in New York in the mid-1980s, and it was a very old building, and the apartments had very high ceilings and large doors. And he was bothered most nights, he said, by a ghost that would pound on the doors, separating the living room from the bedroom, and smash them open and frighten him and his wife in bed. And there standing in the doorway they would see lit up with a strange glow from underneath this man a transparent man in colonial clothing with long white hair that was flying up in the air behind the ghost's head as if the ghost carried its own personal windstorm with it and the ghost had an expression of horror upon its face which made it much more awful to look at and this thing appeared that way often enough that it became a normal thing and it would stand in the doorway a long time sometimes before fading away and he didn't like it and his wife didn't like it and they moved out of there sounds pretty unpleasant but like I said he seemed to enjoy telling the story and he didn't have too much of a problem with it so I think it's a happy memory. Maybe he's real happy that he lives somewhere else now. Story number three. The Waialaya Drive-In. was a drive-in theater in Honolulu, Hawaii. That was built next to a cemetery. And I think this place was torn down some ten years ago or so. But... They had a faceless ghost in the women's bathroom, and it was seen many times. Seemed like it wanted to frighten people in the bathroom, and usually was first seen as a, a young woman brushing her hair in the mirror with her face turned away. And she would turn to uh, uh, any woman who was entering the bathroom revealing that she didn't have a face at all, no eyes or nose or mouth, but a smooth flesh-colored blankness, as smooth and blank as an egg. And this sent a number of girls running, screaming out of the bathroom, and nothing was found there, of course. Every time they looked, they found the faceless specter had simply vanished. Story number four, 
Now, this next place, I'm just going to call the Glendale House. It's in the Glendale Hills. And the owner of this groovy 1950s bachelor paradise with curved pool and a spiral staircase. This guy has reported numerous loud noises inside his house, especially at night, and glowing blobs of light floating in the kitchen. And this is another filmmaker, and this is a person who's gone on a number of ghost investigations uh, as part of his business, and he's had some luck with photographing weird lights in haunted houses that he's visited. And it looks like his hobby has followed him home. Now, I've never seen anything weird in his house, but I've always gotten the feeling that I might see something weird there. What makes me the most scared about visiting this place, actually, is the fact that there are signs all over the neighborhood, everywhere, warning that mountain lions have been seen in this area. And it's very creepy to visit at night because of this. Story number five. The two ghost houses in Illinois. This is uh, Champaign, Illinois, and Park Ridge, Illinois. Now, Martin is another filmmaker in Champaign, and he had a couple of experiences growing up in his family home in the 1950s, and two in particular stand out. The first happened when he woke up early one morning to see a small blonde girl standing at the foot of his bed looking at him. He says... He knew it was a ghost because there was no one with blonde hair living in the neighborhood and because it didn't make any sense. So he closed his eyes. After a few moments, he opened them again and the girl was gone. The second event happened a few years after that when he was around 10 years old. And this one sounds pretty frightening. This time he woke up to see a woman leaning over his bed, a tall woman, who suddenly struck him hard across the face. And then this woman vanished instantly. He says the right side of his face stung for several minutes. The experience had been totally real. I've read about similar things to happening to other people in ghost books. And the other haunted house is in Park Ridge, Illinois, where David Nelson, another monster movie filmmaker, grew up also in the 1950s. And he used to hear footsteps upstairs when no one else was in the house. He says it happened all the time until his family moved into another house, and it made him afraid, even as an adult, when he had to stay home alone in the house, because the footsteps always happened when he was alone. They tended not to happen when the rest of the family was home. So, yeah, Illinois haunted all over the place, too. Story number six. Now, the floating stairwell ghost in the San Francisco area. The father of a friend of mine told me a pretty wild story about when he used to work as a security guard in a large office building and I've mentioned before I think uh, and and everybody knows security guards see some really weird things 
And this has to be one of the weirdest things anyone has ever told me they've seen, just because the imagery is so strange. He described seeing what he saw as being from some distance away. So I think it kind of indicates the size of the building he was walking around in. But he was doing his rounds when he walked around the corner and far at the end of the hallway where there was a door to a stairwell and this was on the ground floor he saw he says he saw floating several feet in the air hovering a shadowy figure of a man wearing a long dark coat and what looked like a wide floppy hat but the whole thing was a shadow he could only see the shape of it and it wasn't standing it was floating facing in his direction and as he saw it he noticed that it seemed to notice him and it took alarm somehow and then it swiveled suddenly towards the stairway door which was closed and it floated through the stairway door and disappeared as if it was made of nothing at all and maybe it was I asked him what do you make of something like that? And he said, I don't. Which I think is a very wise answer. But I wonder about a couple of details, like the stairwell door. Did the ghost like using the stairs? It floated through the door, presumably to get to the stairs, but it didn't open the door because maybe it couldn't, or maybe because it didn't need to. But I just think it's interesting that it floated through the door to get to the stairs, presumably because it wanted to use the stairs. It's just kind of odd. I've also heard about haunted elevators, but that's for another time, I think. Story number seven is from Michael in Montebello, California, not too far away. Now, he doesn't live in Montebello now, but this is something that happened way back in the 1980s when he did live there. And I heard about this around 1983, and Mike was about 16 then, and was living at his family's house, was just turning in for sleep one evening, and all the lights were out, yeah. And as he was settling in, and relaxing, and preparing to fall asleep, he heard a voice whispering to him from one side of the bed, his name. And he says it sounded like a little gnome, or a creature he says. And the voice sounded like it was saying, Michael, Michael, hey, hey, Michael. It sounded like it was trying to get his attention, but it was whispering. But there was no one in the room with him. He looks around in the darkness. He can't see or hear anything. And he doesn't hear the voice again. He's left wondering about what it was. Even today, some 30-something years afterwards, if I mention this story to him, Michael gets nervous because he still doesn't know what that voice was. So, of course, I have to bring it up every so often. Anyway, thank you, Lex. The show is always awesome. And to everyone, I'm wishing you a wonderful evening. Thanks very much.
When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. And the next story is from Cass in Canada. Stories from a haunted house in Canada. I grew up in a small town in a house that was built in 1882. The land the house sits on was registered in 1869. The town is home to both the Battle of Beaver Dams, which took place during the War of 1812, as well as a ship canal. From the date of construction to the present time, the canal has seen four different paths during the extensions and restorations. One of the previous paths of the canal ran next to what is now the home's backyard, resulting in many neat buried treasure finds over the years. The house itself is a one-and-a-half-story Cape Cod style. It was originally built with nothing more than a crawl space with outside access. However, in the 1960s, the home's owner, previous to our family, hand-dug what is now the existing basement. There is a bedroom on the main floor as well as three bedrooms on the second floor. Though the city has grown, back then it was a small town where everyone knew everyone. During the late 80s, at a school pickup, my mother was chatting with a father waiting for his children. Small talk, chit-chat, led to discussing where they lived. When my mother mentioned our street name, the man asked for the number and stood shocked in silence when she replied. He told my mother that his family had lived in the house for six months, but ended up having to leave. Uncomfortably, he explained how something in the basement made it hard for them to stay, and the children were frightened of things happening in the house. Later, in talking with a neighbor across the street, my parents learned that the two former owners had passed away in the house of natural causes. A bit of backstory is important in understanding things we explained in the house over the years, and that still occur to this day. As a child, the first memory I had of the unexplainable was hearing footsteps. We spent a lot of our time in the kitchen growing up. Above the kitchen was one of my siblings' bedrooms. He was 11 years older than me, and of course gone often. Once I remember sitting at the kitchen table, frozen confusion upon hearing footsteps above us, knowing no one was up there. In an effort to minimize the now clear fear spreading across my face, my mother simply said, The ghosts are dancing. The activity was mostly these unexplainable footsteps in my earliest memories. But as I got older, I became much more attuned to the energy in the house.
Fast forward to my teenage years. By that point, the house being haunted was just the norm. Something, for the most part, we almost didn't think about until something happened. Late one night, I was sitting at our family computer, which was situated in the corner of our formal dining room. Everyone else was in bed, so everything was quiet aside from the clicks of the keyboard. After some time, I felt a noticeable drop in temperature in the room. The shift in temperature and energy pulled me from my mindless clicking, and I sat still and quiet for a while. I was now concerned my dad had gotten up, and I was about to be in trouble for being on the computer so late. After a minute or two, relief came when I didn't hear either of my parents. But relief was immediately replaced with fear when I started to hear conversations behind me. It was like something from a movie. I could hear voices shuffling and faint music as if it were a party in the distance. I was terrified. I couldn't move. This lasted for a minute or two, and eventually the sounds just stopped. With the return silence, I bolted for my room. A year later, I was at home, enjoying a lazy Saturday in my room. My nephew had been visiting that day, and other than my mother, there was no one else at the house. I was lying on my bed, talking on the phone, when I started to hear footsteps approaching my room. I called out to my nephew, but he didn't reply. And as the footsteps grew closer, I yelled down to my mother to ask where my nephew was. She yelled up, telling me he had walked to the dollar store a while ago. Again, I froze with absolute fear. I saw nothing. I ran as fast as I could and barreled down the stairs to explain to my mother what had just happened. Sleep did not come easily that night. Eventually I moved out and started my own family. Just before our daughter turned a year old, we briefly stayed with my parents while our new home was being renovated. We stayed with them for just over a month. During that time, my daughter slept in what was my old room. It was at the front of the house, and my husband and I stayed in the bedroom above the kitchen at the back of the house. Not long after we moved in, the strange occurrences began. Our daughter started waking up at the same time each morning, screaming at the top of her lungs. At first we assumed it was the new, unfamiliar surroundings that she would see when she woke up. But one morning, after getting her settled back down, I got back into bed with my husband. No more than a minute later, I heard a terrifying, disembodied growl uncomfortably close to my ear. I froze and wondered if perhaps I had already started to fall asleep and it was nothing more than a dream. But then my husband very slowly asked, What was that? 
Other than footsteps, it was the first time my husband had experienced something in that house to that magnitude. Suddenly, the possibility of something waking our daughter each morning didn't seem too far-fetched. One afternoon, not long after we left, my husband and I were sitting in the kitchen with my parents having coffee. We had put our daughter down for a nap, not long before. We made sure to have the baby monitor with us. The design of the baby monitor was such that the more noise in the room, the more lights that came on. We had been downstairs for about 45 minutes, when suddenly the lights on the monitor began to flicker, even though our daughter wasn't making a sound. It caught the attention of all four of us and sounded like furniture was being dragged across the bedroom beside her. We all stared at each other, wide-eyed. Eventually, I snapped out of it and hurried to bring her back downstairs. Thirty-plus years later, I still reflect on the experiences I had and still have at that house. The footsteps or dancing still happens, and my mother often relays bizarre occurrences. While things that we experienced were frightening and unexplainable, it was never enough to make us feel at any time that we needed to leave. We learned to live with the house that was alive in its own way. If you're enjoying Anything Ghost and you want to listen to every single episode that has been put out since it started in January of 2006, then take a look at the Anything Ghost VIP group. There's a one-time membership fee, and that will give you complete access to the complete Anything Ghost archive. And then you can walk around saying, I'm a long-time listener, because it's going to take you a long time to listen to all of them. So check it out. The Anything Ghost VIP group. Go to anythingghost.com. And then look at the Join the VIP Group link. AnythingGhost.com, Join the VIP Group. Here's a story from Mark in Australia. The Ghost of Cerberus Base. In 2004, myself and several mates were working as carpet steam cleaners and window cleaners during our university days. We'd work a couple of night shifts through the week and maybe a day shift here and there. It was a nice casual job as we lived locally. We knew each other, and we loved night shifts. We all got on well and had this job as a way to get through the university days. We were contracted to clean army bases around Melbourne in Australia, so it was quite interesting learning about Australia's army and navy base history during our shifts. We'd sometimes work at Victoria Barracks near the city, and were always told ghost stories by the night guards that patrolled the area, but we took it with a grain of salt. One night, myself and a friend were working at a base south of Melbourne called Cerebus. Over a couple of nights, our job was to steam clean the carpets in the accommodation blocks that housed young Navy people. I think they must have been out to sea at that stage. One of those particular nights, we were cleaning a room upstairs that was strangely empty of any personal belongings. Not one book, 
piece of clothing, or linen. We thought it was strange, but didn't really think anything of it. As I was steam cleaning with what's called a wand, the handheld pole that spits out chemicals and vacuums, I closed the six empty wardrobes that I had just cleaned. They had three large and three smaller doors above them. When I turned around, I noticed that each door was open at a 45-degree angle. I thought it was strange, but then I thought my friend who was outside in the corridor must have snuck in and opened them again, thinking I'd still needed to clean them inside. After cleaning the room and not mentioning anything to my mate, I left the room and started down the corridor. My mate entered the accommodation room and began rearranging the furniture, desks, chairs, etc., back to their original positions. As he turned around from placing one of the chairs on the floor from a desk, I heard him scream. I backed in slowly at that stage and saw that he was staring at the wardrobes. I held up my wand thinking I needed to spray a spider or something. After asking him where the spider was, he stuttered, I just closed all those wardrobes. I slowly looked into the room and saw that all six wardrobe doors were fully open. It was only then that I remembered what had happened three minutes earlier in the room. And then he mentioned to me that he had not been in the room while I was working in there. He made a beeline downstairs and outside while I entered the room. I spent a few minutes in the room testing the wardrobes, slamming them, checking the hinges, closing them at different times and at different forces. Nothing at all would allow all six doors to come open, even a slight bit. From that night forth, he refused to go back into the accommodation block, especially as, at our dinner break, I remembered a night security guard at Victoria Barracks mentioned, a few nights earlier, when we mentioned we were going to Cerebus. He said, quote, One of the rooms in the accommodation blocks is haunted there. After doing a bit of googling on the internet, I came across a Reddit comment that stated that one of the rooms is reputed to be haunted by a young serving officer who unfortunately passed away years earlier. And here's another self-narrated story, and this one's from Andrea in Indiana. Experiences at a university in Greenville, Indiana. Hi, my name is Andrea, and I'm going to share some stories with you today that I obtained um, while doing interviews as a writer for campus newspaper my freshman year of college. This was the first issue for that school year, and it was going to come out in the fall. And so, of course, me being me, I wanted to know all of the juicy ghost stories, and I wanted to write about them for the fall um, newspaper issue. I interviewed several students, I interviewed professors, I interviewed various faculty and staff, I interviewed um, maintenance um, crew, I interviewed um, the security guards, and I cannot remember the names of all of the buildings. Um, on this campus, it was a very old um, university, college, um, and if I'm remembering correctly, it's one of the oldest, if not the oldest, campus um, on this side of the Mississippi. So we'll start with a building, I'm just going to call it the Science Building, and I talked to, um, 
think it was a history professor. Maybe there were science and history classes in this building. But I interviewed a professor and some security guards about this building. And one of the big stories or things that people would experience a lot in this building were seeing a dark shadow figure roaming around. And it was often seen um, from outside of the building at night. There was a kind of windy stairwell in the building and people often reported sightings of seeing this person looking out the window or going by. There were never any discernible um, features. It just was a black shadow shape. So I talked to, I believe it was a history professor. This was a long time ago that I was in college. So I'm gonna tell to the best of my memory. I do have um, recordings of this somewhere where I actually recorded the people I was interviewing at the time. So, and then wrote my article off of that. but anyways, long story short, for the professor, he was working late in the building one evening. Um, I can't remember the reason why he would have been going up the stairs, but the building was pretty much kind of closed. No one was there. He was alone. It was um, after dark. He was in the stairwell, and he heard um, some footsteps and looked and saw the shadow figure. And it was going... It, like I said, around this winding kind of staircase where you could look up or down and see someone on the steps. And he said eventually, like he just watched this figure coming closer and closer to toward him. And at one point he just kind of backed up against the wall in the corner and let this figure come on down to onto the stair, the stair that he happened to be standing on and then just continue on its way. So I don't know if perhaps this was some sort of residual. He said it just kept going. And um, I don't know, I feel from the, I believe he was a history professor, that his story was pretty credible. I really believed what he was telling me. Um, to lend more credence to the story, I talked to several security guards. I believe he tipped me off and told me, you need to talk to, sec- to the security staff about this. So I did go to, um, I think it was three or four um, security guards that I talked to all at the same time and they all related to me how one evening they kind of had a stakeout at that building Um, I don't know if there was like a silent alarm triggered or something on a security camera um, or someone alerting them I honestly I cannot remember but it turned out that um, they were told or for some reason that someone was they were led to believe that there was someone in that building and it was Um, you know, so someone had broken in, they needed to go investigate it. And they saw someone, like again, coming down that stairwell. And um, long story short, they surrounded the building, they were all certain, more than one of them saw someone in that building, they knew someone was in there. And so they kind of, you know, surrounded the building with the whole crew and, um, let one or two people like they went around and checked all the doors were locked um so you know how someone would get in I don't know but um they ended up searching the building while others were surrounding the building and never did find anyone but they had all definitely seen someone through the window someone in that building um so that was um a very interesting story about this shadow being that haunts that building another story I have several I'll just share one more there was a an old house um, on the campus when I was a student there it had since been torn down and it was a historic home 
and one of the maintenance men, um, who was an older man, and I guess he had been on the maintenance crew for quite some time, um, had lived in that house. He was probably one of the senior members, and they allowed him to live in the house so that he could, you know, be there 24 hours a day in case anything should happen. And he told me that it was a very old historic home, and I cannot remember if um, there had been a hospital or a home utilized as a hospital or just a home, and that home also in particular, or maybe beside of it, something during the Civil War, there was a place on campus where a lot of um, soldiers, I'm not sure, Confederate Union, I'm not sure, ended up, would stayed on the campus for quite some time. And he told me of just different strange things that would happen in the house, hearing the sounds of footsteps, like men in boots, um, just objects being moved, hearing voices, like muffled voices of men speaking. He would hear all of these things um, in the house. And um, there was some, you know, I'm trying to tell these to the best of my memory from, I believe it was in the early, maybe it was 2001, 2002, whenever... um, I um, obtained these stories but he heard a sound one night it seems like there was something about a and like you hear this a lot but a door in the old house that was really hard to open and it had kind of a bolt that was really hard to slide I think he told me that sometimes you would hear that door opening and you like it would be open he'd go to check the door would be open and he's like it, how you know it was a difficult door to open and I think one time he heard a clatter and a, a big bolt some kind of like iron rod that was used to kind of bolt the door in some way had been pulled out and hit the floor that had happened and another time he was coming down the stairs um, for some reason and saw the spectral figure of a soldier like I said I can't remember which army he told me at the, if it was Union or Confederate I can't remember but he told me at the time and he recognized the uniform and all the elements he re- he was able to recognize and see this figure clearly enough to identify you know his whole uniform and the different details and all that and that this figure was just standing um staring at him holding his arm out and just pointing in off to the side straight ahead I can't remember exactly but it was like it was trying to point at something and tell him something and he of course froze and stood motionless just staring at this ghost and eventually it just faded away and he never did know what um what was up with that what was this ghost trying to tell him he never could determine um what was going on and that house has since been torn down um, so that they could build other dormitory buildings so those are a couple of the stories from my um, freshman year of the college that from that I collected during my freshman year of college at um, I think it's called Tusculum University now honestly I can't even remember it's the first school I went to I can't even remember if it's Um, was called college or university at the time but anyways that's in Greenville Tennessee Um, maybe there are some students there who are having experiences of their own I did also interview different students um, who shared their stories with me back at the time and I will um, try to remember those look up my recording and send those in um, some other time take care No one heard the cry
The Law Library Ghost of Columbia University, New York, July 25, 1908. Columbia University in New York says that a ghost hovers around the Columbia Law Library. They describe the ghost as educated, nice, old, and gentlemanly. Sometime in early July of 1908, a club called the Century Club, or 43rd Street, borrowed four portraits from the law library for use in an exhibition that they were doing. The portraits included former chancellors Robert E. Livingston and Mr. Kent, as well as an old professor, Theodore Dwight, and philanthropist Charles M. DeCosta, who had left a large donation with the university. The country club returned the four paintings two weeks after they had borrowed them. They were all in good condition except for the painting of the philanthropist Charles M. DeCosta. On this painting there were a couple of nicks on the varnish. So after returning the other three paintings to the library, the Century Club took the DeCosta painting to a restorer for repair. While the painting was being restored, the place where the painting had been hanging for so long had left a bright green spot on the otherwise faded green burlap wall because the sunlight coming in through the window had faded the other areas outside of the painting. A few days after the paintings were returned, the library's card index boy, John Henry, came rushing from the library frightened. The assistant librarian caught him as he was running out. John was nervously saying that he would never return to that room again. He excitedly told her that there was a man climbing on the wall where the missing picture was. He added that he wouldn't return no matter how much they paid him. In disbelief, the assistant librarian went back to investigate the claims that John had made. She turned on the lights and saw that everything was as it should be. But suddenly, she heard a sound that she likened to laughter and then two cases of books fell on the floor in the area of the missing painting. John Henry, who was just around the corner, ran out of the building. The next morning, the night watchman reported to Dean, Mr. Kirchmay, that there was some kind of glow visible through the glass doors of the room the entire night. In the summer months, not many students would be found at the library, especially in the evenings. But one student was there at 6 p.m. looking for a book in the half-lit upper gallery. The student began to hear what sounded like scratching of a pen, as if it was writing. Curious, he followed the sound. And he discovered that it was coming from the bright spot on the wall where the painting was missing. He cautiously approached. The pen sound stopped. But as the student stood at the spot on the wall, he heard a strange sigh rise from out of nowhere, and he took off running. Not long afterward, the student returned with a friend. The two tiptoed through the library and found the room. It was vacant. But as they stood in the room, they noticed a fluorescent-type glowing where the missing painting had been. As they stared at it, the glowing faded. Then they saw an apparition of a man 
come into the room and quickly scurry to the furthest wall and then blend in with the books. As the ghost disappeared, the students heard a sigh. The events that the two men witnessed that night, the glowing spot on the wall, the apparition appearing, and the hollow sigh, began to happen on a regular basis at about 6 p.m. In fact, one professor of the college, Professor Heislop, said that he and some students of the occult were going to conduct a series of experiments with the ghosts and the picture. After it was discovered that the ghost only appeared at 6 p.m., the assistant library and the index card keeper felt comfortable enough to return to their duties during the day. And that's it for episode number 292 of Anything Ghost. And thanks everyone for writing in and recording your stories for this episode. And to Rod and Brink Stevens for recording that intro. If you have a story you want to share, send them to Lex at anythingghost.com. And don't forget to check out the VIP group. Anythingghost.com, join the VIP group. Okay, everybody. Thanks again. I'll talk to you in hopefully a longer show in number 293 of Anything Ghost. And until then, have yourself a wonderful week, month, year, and take care.